I was in uh, fifth or sixth grade, and I was playing on my school's basketball team, elementary school basketball team. We were the Linwood Lions, by the way. Yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed playing basketball. I, practice was always right after school. And uh, uh, usually at my home, there was, I, was, I would go home and there'd be no one there because I uh, grew up single family home. My mom worked and uh, lots of free time, lots of independence, lots of decision making on my own. But there was, uh, there was one basketball practice where uh, I remember I'm out there playing basketball and I'm shooting hoops. I'm having a pretty good game. And, and I, I kind of had an advantage where I was really tall. I was really tall all the way up until about my junior year of high school. Then everyone else grew up and then I'm the same height as everyone else, but I'm also the same height I was in seventh grade. Um, but I really enjoyed playing basketball, but I remember my coach and then some of the other kids started making fun of me because when I played, my tongue was hanging out. And I put my tongue out, but I wasn't consciously putting my tongue out. My tongue was just out until they started to make fun of me. And then now I'm out on the court and all I'm thinking about is my tongue is out. And it's like I felt like I lost my magic I lost it. I didn't know why. I just knew I'm just worried about my tongue. And then uh, there came a day during, during uh, the season where I had a decision to make. So we had our practice after school, but then I had a friend in school who was having a birthday party after school. And I made this decision. And if you're younger, like a millennial or Gen Z, this is going to sound weird to you. But when I was 10 or 11, I had complete autonomy over my own schedule. And I had to figure out how to get where and, and what I was going to do. I didn't have to check with my parents to do things. I just decided to play basketball, and I decided what I was going to do. And so I got an invitation to go to a birthday party, and I remember going through this thought process. It was, a very, it was one of the first times in my life I remember making a values-based decision. Like, and I was, I was thinking, okay, i got practice every day, and practice is just practice, and I've got a friend who has a birthday party, and he only has one of those a year. And I chose to go to the birthday party, and I skipped practice. And I felt really grown up and good about that decision. Because even on the way, I remember I was missing practice and I, was, and I remember I got on my bike and on my way to his house, I stopped at the store, pay and save. And I don't know where I had money, but I remember I bought him a gift to pay and save and, and uh, I took it to the birthday party. And uh, when I showed up at practice the next day, Mr. Triplett, who was my coach, uh, he called me out in front of everyone and asked me where I was at practice yesterday, during practice. And I, like, confidently, because I thought I made a good decision, a grown-up decision, said, I, I was at Jamie's birthday party. And he proceeded to just rip me up and down for my lack of commitment to the team and my lack of this and la da 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 And then he made a joke about my tongue hanging out, like... I just got railed, I got confronted and railed by my basketball coach. And I didn't, I didn't play basketball after that. Like, I didn't really like basketball after that. Um, and as I grew up, I started to realize some things because to this day, I always felt like Mr. Triplett was wrong. I should have gone to the birthday party. I made the right decision based on where I was and what I was valuing. And come on, we're talking about a fifth or sixth grade basketball practice. Like, how important is this? But in that realm, in his frame of mind, it was a lack of commitment, a lack of maturity, a lack of priority. And to this day, I'm proud of that decision. 
And a couple things in my life have happened that helped me like solidify because it was uh, when I was in high school, this, this amazing basketball player comes out of the University of North Carolina and he starts lighting up the NBA and his name's Michael Jordan. And, and what's the one thing they keep making fun of him about? His tongue's hanging out. And I'm like, you know, I think it was the spirit of excellent or of, of basketball excellence that was trying to descend on me in the fifth grade with my tongue hanging out. And I could have been Michael Jordan if I would just would have kept my tongue out. And, you know, because it really did feel like that was where the magic was. And, and so Mr. Triplett was wrong about the tongue and he was wrong about the birthday. And I still feel that to this day. And that's never left me, that conviction that, yes, the coach said this, but I really felt in my own decision that I made the right decision. Now, I know that seems trivial, and it's a, it's, it's a while ago, but have you ever had one of those moments where you are being confronted and you're being called out and you, you're facing your accuser? You're facing the authority? And it may be something that you did do that was wrong. Maybe it was, you, you know, and I think we all have this like at report card time when we're going back to class and we've got to deal with our grades. Or maybe it's your, as an employee, you have a review and you know that you have not been giving your best to your employer. Or maybe you've stolen something and you're being confronted with the owner of the thing you've stolen. But you have that tension and you're like, oh no, I'm going to be faced with this thing. I know we've all had those moments. We all have those fears that we're not quite measuring up to someone's expectations. Whether they're accurate or not, there's that insecurity and that fear. We are in this series called Breakthrough, and I want to remind you, if you remember, Church Online, if you remember, go ahead and type it in the chat. What are the three biggest barriers to breakthrough that we have? You guys remember? The three biggest barriers are me, myself, and I, right? Because even in the scenario of my, my basketball coach, I could look at him and go, he's a barrier. But no, the reality is the way I process that story determines whether or not it's uh, a barrier or a catalyst, right? I'm processing that story going, I made a good decision. He didn't like it. He was operating in a different set of values than I am. And it's a catalyst for me to be confident in my decisions and priorities because I still think I made the right decision, right? So the, the, the barrier that that, that that would be wouldn't be Mr. Triplett. It would be the story I tell myself about what that is. And we all have that in our life, and I want to encourage you. Look back at your life, even this last year, two years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, what are those narratives that you play in your head that tell you about who you are and what your past is? And sometimes when we have trauma as a teenager, that imprints itself through the emotional maturity of a teenager. And that carries with us for the rest of our life. And we have these narratives that say, I was this as a child, therefore I am. And if we take that, that scenario, that past, that trauma, that accusation, that failure, that sin, whatever that is, and we explain that narrative to ourselves through the maturity of an adult, we can reclaim that and it no longer has to have that, that impact and, and no longer has to be that barrier. But, right, but what that means is the barrier 
the, the, the stronghold, the, the thing holding us back from breakthrough is still me, myself, and I. Because we can decide how to handle and process those things. And a little trick that I've learned that really helps myself, that if there's, a ch- if there's something I don't know and I just can't know, there's certain things that we can't know, right? Like an example is like, uh, will there be pets in heaven when we die? We can't know that. The Bible is not clear. There's arguments to be made. And the Bible, is, I don't think that God ever wrote the Bible to say, I just want to make sure they understand that their turtle, they're going to see their turtle in heaven. Like, but if there's something we can't know, I'm going to choose to believe the hope. Why not? If you've got to choose, there's 50-50, you've got to choose. Why not choose the hope? What's the damage in that? I, and I figure out, like, if I'm in heaven if I'm, and, I'm, and I'm wrong about pets in heaven, I'm going to be so enamored and, and overjoyed that I'm in the presence of God, I'm going to be in a much better place to handle the fact that I'm never going to see Sadie again than I am right now. So I'm going to defer that disappointment till heaven, <laughs> right? Uh, so now I can live in the hope that, yeah, that could be. That's cool. And I think, I think about that type of stuff. And, and even about like friends and family who have gone before us and we don't know what their relationship with God is. There's so much we don't know about the afterlife. There's elements that we can choose hope and live in the hope and the joy of today and trust in God with that, kind of leaving room the fact that we can't know things. And that's okay. Because what happens when we don't do that, that the past and the pain becomes a barrier and a breakthrough and the fear of the future becomes a barrier to breakthrough. And what we're gonna do today is look at this relationship with Jesus and one of his closest disciples, Simon Peter. And we're going to see how Jesus handled Peter and what he did with Peter when Peter built up his own barriers and Peter failed Jesus and Peter denied and betrayed his friend. We're going to look at how Jesus interacted with that and then extrapolate that as our call to action to overcome. Because here's the point of today is that you are never beyond breakthrough. Breakthrough is always yours. You are never beyond it. Let's pray and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for a church. I thank you for a faithful online church that gathers, that chats, that encourages one another. Uh, I thank you for our prayer team midweek that prays for one another and the constant prayer requests and, and updates that come through that. I just thank you that we can stay connected that way. I thank you for our groups that meet and our teams that serve and our ministries that grow. And I just thank you so much that you have given us this privilege and this group of people to live life with where we can grow closer to you and closer to each other uh, in the same direction, God, closer to you as we love our neighbors, as we love ourselves, and we love you, God. You are a good God, and you're faithful. And I, I just claim for your spirit today to overtake this whole, this whole thing as we gather online and in person, and let your spirit just be on full display to bring us courage and to bring us clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We all struggle. We all fail. And what, hap- what do we turn to when we struggle and we fail? Right? What are the things that we turn to when we just can't handle our struggle and fail? There's a lot of things we turn to now. We turn to 
uh, binge-watching TV, right? I, I've been listening to some sermons and, and reading some blogs, and I think, I think binge-watching TV has become the go-to thing for pastors. Like, like 15, 20 years ago, the go-to thing for pastors when they talked about, specifically about money, was wasting money on Starbucks coffee as the thing to like show us that we have these weaknesses, right? It seems to be binging Starbucks, or binging Starbucks. Uh, binging Netflix is kind of the thing that, all the pastors are saying the same thing. I think it's because we all deal with that temptation of escapism, right? We want to escape into an alternate world, not as a, a form of entertainment, but as a form of therapy. Because what, what happens is when we escape to that alternate universe, we're neglecting the universe that we're living in, and we're not making the universe that we're living in any better. We're not contributing to it, right? Which is what we as God's children are called to do. But there's all these distractions that we do. Some people turn to alcohol, some people turn to drugs, some people turn to pornography, some people turn... But it's these things that we use to comfort ourselves when we are feeling in crisis, we feel overwhelmed. Or we feel, or, and all of this would be, we need a breakthrough. We kind of we hunker down behind these distractions when we feel chained back, like we can't break free. And the, the only answer for this is what Jesus shows us in his interactions with Peter. So we're going to walk through some passages in the Gospels and see this relationship with Peter develop and culminate in the passage that we read today where Jesus asked Peter if he loves him. Jesus meets Peter and, and a few of his disciples as they are out fishing on a boat. And Jesus tries to, to, to tell them, and, and in a way, he does a miracle and shows them that he is more than just a stranger, that he has command over the seas when they're fishing. And, and he says, hey, have you caught any fish? Has anyone ever been fishing and someone asks you that? You dread that question, especially if you haven't caught any fish, right? <laughs> You'd be on your boat or on the, like, I'm on the river and, a, and a, a boat will paddle by and he'll go, hey, you catching anything? I'm a terrible fisherman. My friends take me fishing. They call me the cooler because like if I'm there, nobody catches stuff for some reason. Um, but I, the answer is always no. Or maybe I have something really small that's borderline limit. Like I have something, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure I should or I'm not really proud of it. And so you're like, oh, no, no, I haven't caught anything. I remember I asked a guy once, I was on a lake, and I asked, we were out on the boat, and I said, you, you catching anything? He goes, yeah, and he holds up the string of fish. I'm like, oh, what are you using for bait? And he goes, I'm not going to tell you. I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't know this was a competition. Uh, uh, people are weird with stuff like that. Um, but Jesus tells the disciples, have you asked them, have you caught anything? They said, no, okay, well, throw your, your nets on the other side and you'll catch something. In this way, as he meets them, he's introducing them and he's saying, hey, it's this way for him to tell them, I am more than just a stranger. And then Jesus invites them to come and follow him, drop your nets, leave the trade of your father and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, right? And he offers them a mission, a purpose to become fishers of men. And Peter does that. He drops his net and he follows Jesus. And then, and then he and the disciples, they walk life together for two to three years. And they minister. And, 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 and Peter gets to see and hear some of the most amazing teaching. He gets to see miracles happen. He gets to have a friend walking alongside of him with Jesus. 
and have a mission and a purpose in life. Wow. The, I, I imagine the friendship and the relationship that must have developed with Jesus and Peter specifically over time where they're completely known and loved and accepted. I think that's so beautiful to think. But let's look at the scriptures as some of the highlights of their interaction. In Matthew 26, uh, verses 30 through 35, Jesus foretells of Peter's denial. We're going to stitch these together to give you a snapshot of this relationship. So verse 30 says, And when they had sung a hymn, They went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I I tell you, this very night, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples followed Peter and said the same thing, right? They echoed, they did what Peter, Peter's clearly a leader, because you'll see this a lot of the time. Peter said this and all the disciples went, yeah, me too, right? And so Peter made this declaration that I will, I will unconditionally follow you no matter what, even if I must die with you, right? What a bold declaration. And Jesus says, no, you'll deny me three times. Now, I want to introduce the idea in this Hebrew teaching, the idea of three times. Uh, it's, it's repeated, and, and if, you, if you do any type of word study, this is a beautiful passage to do word study, the story of Peter and Jesus, because all of these things are part of telling the story of Jesus and Peter. But, but the idea of something being said three times, it's for emphasis, Right, but it's a unique emphasis, and I look at it like the first re- the first question or the first time that you're posed with a decision, it's your reaction, right? So the first time where you, he, Jesus uh, Peter, we're going to read about how Peter denied Jesus. The first one was a reaction. The second one is a reflection, where where you really take stock, and you're being asked the question again, so you've got to think deeper about the question. And then the last one is a resolution or a revelation. It's informed by the reaction and the reflection to have a more honest answer that's rooted more in, less in idealism and more in the ideal compared to the truth of your actions, right? So the, the, the teaching of three times comes out all throughout this story of Jesus and the disciples. So verses, uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, where, where Peter makes the claim that I will never, I will, you know, unconditionally I will follow you, I'll never betray you, right? Um, and then we have this interaction where Jesus and Peter, where, uh, you know, Peter gets gregarious. You kind of get this, character, this, this idea of the character of Peter where he's, he's all reaction. His whole thing, everything he does is about reaction, Right? He's the one that makes the bold claim. He's the one here in Matthew 26, uh, 50 through 56. Jesus said to him, friend, he calls him friend. Don't lose that, hold on to that. He calls him friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who are with Jesus stretched out his hand, this is Peter, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. 
Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Then Jesus was taken on his way. And we pick up the story uh, later, uh, about 20 verses later in Matthew 26, where the, 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 the Jesus, where he prophesied the betrayal actually happens. Same day, because he says before this day ends, before the sunrise sets. So we have verse 69 and verse 26. It says, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said, she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath saying, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came by and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. That is condemning. If, if he went through those three reflections and his resolution was to double down and to swear and to lie and to affirm and to separate himself from Jesus. I do not know the man. It was that third you know, you have grace with the reaction, grace with the resolution, but the revelation is the indictment. Like, that's the thing you're landing on. And so that's why it says that he, was, he brought on a curse. I do not know the man, and immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. When we reflect on our past and the sins that we have done and, and the things that uh, we feel shame about, because I, I can imagine that shame is what he felt. Shame, guilt, resentment. You start to mistrust yourself when you do stuff like that. You start to tell a narrative about yourself, about your worth and your value, your integrity. And you start to put on this identity that you just aren't. After three years of Jesus telling him that he has worth and he has value, Jesus' definition of Peter didn't change. But Peter's behavior caused Peter shame. But Jesus didn't heap shame on him, did he? So we catch up in this passage that we were reading today, John 21, verses 1 through 19. After Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. Peter, clearly a leader, once again, right? Where's Peter going after he feels like he's betrayed and lost Jesus? Goes back to where he was before Jesus called him. Back to fishing. 
He resolves back to the identity he had before he met Jesus. I'm, I failed. I'm going back to fishing. And I would say that's very, uh, just very reflective and true about what we do. When we feel we fail, we resort back to uh, who we think we are without Jesus. So they said, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, right? So we, this is kind of calling back to how he met, with the, met the disciples in the first place, right? Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So? Experience says when a stranger tells you to cast the net and you do it and you get fish, right? So they did it. They cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said, that the disciple who Jesus loved is, is believed to be John. Uh, he said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And I can imagine that wasn't like he donned on his outer garment, like, like he grabbed his outer garment as he's running. Like, can you imagine? I can. I can imagine, like, that anticipation, that hope, that, that oh, I, I would be thinking a repentant and joyful heart, like there's, there's another chance for me. There's a chance for me to be redeemed and restored, and there's a chance for a relationship. There's, there's, he's still here. There's a like the grace of God that he appeared to Peter. And, 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 and Peter's just, it just fits with the character of this guy that, I, that we, I love, I just love, that it's just all heart, all drive. He's a high D and a high I if you're a disc, like that's like, uh, but, and he's just all there and he's just, I'm all in and that, that is my Lord, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. I love that. The other disciples came in on the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a, a charcoal fire with fish laid out on it and bread. Like this is morning, right? And they come to the land. Jesus is there with breakfast. Like, come on, let's have breakfast. I got fish. Now bring your fish, Jesus says. Bring your fish and bring uh, some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Uh, like I said, that's going to be one of those questions that I ask, like, why 153? Like, what, there's got to be a meaning behind that number that we don't know. Why not 154, 152, 158? I don't know. We don't know. But there's 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. This would be symbolic of the, the Passover meal, the last supper they just had. And, and so he took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples and after he was raised, after he was raised from the dead. And then in verse 15, the scene kind of shifts they're, they're sitting there after they've eaten breakfast, sitting around the fire. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. You notice how he calls him Simon, son of John. 
giving him an identity that he had gone back to. Uh, because when you, are, when you are in a trade in that day, you're doing the trade of your father, right? And you are called the son of, that means you're doing what your father did, right? So he's saying, you have gone back to being son of John. You've gone back to being a fisherman. So he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Now, that word love is what I want to emphasize today. Like, as I said, this whole passage, especially this, verses 15 through 19, this is one of the most powerful reasons to use a, a word study Bible because I'm just going to talk about one word, but there are, there's a lot in this whole text where if you look at what these words were used to, that we just assume meaning of, it becomes way more rich and powerful. But I'm just going to show you one of them today. When Jesus says to Peter, do you love me more than these? The word that the Greek translators used, or the, that they translated into Greek from the Aramaic, was do you agape me? Now there's four different words in Greek for love. So when you're reading the Bible and you see love, it, it means one of four things. We're just going to talk about two of them. We're going to talk about agape love, which is sacrificial, unconditional Love, which means that my love for you is 100% rooted in my love for you. And it's never changing. Agape, unconditional love, means my love for you comes from me. And no matter what you do, my love for you doesn't change. And that's a truth that we all know. Like it's impossible for God. That's how God loves. It's impossible for God to love you more than he does today. Your behavior isn't going to get more love from God and your sin isn't going to get you less love from God. God's agape love is 100% on all the time. Right? And so when we talk about agape love, that's what Jesus is asking Peter. Do you agape love me? And, and Peter says, yes. Yes, Lord, you know that I do. You know that I love you. And Jesus' response to that is, feed my lambs if you love me. If you love me. Then in verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Once again, do you agape me? Is your love for me unconditional? So remember, the first one is a reaction. Do you love me? Reaction, yes, Lord, I love you. I, idealism, like, yes, I love you. I love you. And then the second one is, do you agape me? Do you love me? The second question is reflection, and Peter is reflecting on just the day before where he betrayed Jesus. And he, and he reflects, and I can imagine the response is more sobering. And his response, you know that I love you. And it, if I were in that, it would be more like a, a seeking affirmation from Jesus. You know, you know, you know you know I love you. Like, it's almost like I, I can imagine he'd be asking, don't let my behavior get in the way of my, you believing or knowing that I, that, you, that I love you. Like, I can imagine all the feelings with that. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this is where it takes a turn. Because he doesn't use the word Agape. The word used there is phileo. Phileo is a brotherly love. And there are, there are conditions with the word phileo. 
Phileo is only made perfect if it's in agape love. But phileo by itself is a brotherly love where there's this assumption that there is a give and take between us and there are expectations for this love to be, to be there in the Greek, the, the idea of phileo love. It's where we get the city named Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. The word philanthropy, right? But this, this, this invitation of Jesus for after the reaction and the reflection for Peter to think about, do you phileo me? And this is where Peter's sadness comes through. Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, you know everything. You know that I, and Peter says, phileo you. Now, Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Then he says, truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Then he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to them, follow me. When Jesus uses that, uh, I will, uh, another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. I don't believe that's just anecdotal. I believe that's related to this series of questions that he asks where he says, do you agape me, do you agape me, do you phileo me? Because the answer, Jesus' response to all three of those was the exact same. Like, feed my sheep. Right? Or feed my lambs. Like, take care of those I love. And this, first time I taught this, this is where the phrase, uh, we love to see people we love, love people we love. Right? And that is very true with God. And Jesus is saying the same thing. If you love me, love those I love. And, and what is he talking about feeding them? And I've heard a lot of, and read a lot of what, which I think is like, uh, the, the, the sentiment is true, but it's not fair or accurate to put that into this text or to read it into this text. Uh, but some preachers will say, this is why we have to, he's talking about feeding them the word of God, and that's why we have to teach people the Bible. And now all of that, the word of God, that's all good. It's just not fair to put that, it's not true to the text to put that in this text. But what do you feed them, right? And I think it's directly connected to this revelation of love that Peter is feeling, that Jesus is offering him this restorative acceptance and love because it's not lost on me that Peter denied Jesus three times and Jesus gives him three questions to be redeemed with reflection, reaction, and resolution. Like I have resolved, and Peter says, I have resolved that even in my own strength, the best I can do for you, Jesus, is phileo. And Jesus says, in that still feed my sheep. Our job is still the same. So regardless of what our past is or what our failures are, we're never beyond breakthrough. We are always able to lean onto Jesus because that's what he says here at the end of this passage. You used to dress yourself. You used to try on yourself to love me. And the best you can do on yourself is phileo. But now, another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. 
And that's Jesus. Jesus is what carries us from the best we can do as human and allows us to live in agape love for him. And that restores and redeems us. And that takes every narrative that we have in our past that tells us we're not good enough, we're not strong enough, that we failed, that we can't do it on our own. Jesus is saying, yeah, without me, you can't do it on your own. There was a time when you tried to do it on your own and the best you got, the very best you could do is phileo. But I will dress you. I will make you a new creation. I will bring you to a point where when I ask you, do I love you, you don't have to respond with regret. You can react trusting in me that I will give you a new life. That your love for me is agape love if you let me love you and and help you break through. I think these are the, the chains that we, when we don't lean on Jesus to rewrite our past through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of redemption, when we don't let Jesus rewrite our identity and make us a new creation, we are holding on to the chains of the past and we're refusing to be set free. And we have all these reasons why, but Jesus is saying, let me dress you. Let me adorn you with the fine linen. You know, Ephesians 5, Paul talks about the way Jesus cleanses us and presents us to God as righteous and holy. If we keep striving on our own, we come up with ideas, which I've never been a fan of, but the WWJD thing, do you remember that? Like the bracelets and the WWJD, the T-shirts. Like I even saw somebody got tattooed WWJD. I never bought into that because I knew I wasn't J. Like, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus did what Jesus would do. I'm not Jesus. Like, I could die on a cross and it would help no one, right? I could martyr myself and it would help no one because I am not Jesus. And I, and I came up with a new one and, uh, W-W-M-D-I-H-A-R, no, I-H-R-K-J-L-F-H. Woman did gadurkin and fluff. I want a t-shirt. It says, what would Mike do if he really knew God's love for him? That's what we're being asked. And Jesus says, whatever that is, if you know my love for you, whatever that is, and how God's equipped you and called you and given you opportunity, it's feeding his sheep. Direct your love for me towards those I love. That is what we are to be obsessed with. That's what we are to do. That is our purpose. On In so doing, we usher in God's kingdom. We bring God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. As we focus on W-W-M-D-I-H-R-K-G-L-F-H. Right? Because all the things that we're holding on to, we are only clothed in this new clothing if we let Jesus rewrite our story. If we let the love of Jesus and the transformation of Jesus set us free from the bondage that we so eagerly hold on to because 
We look back at our life and say, in that moment, I did not agape you. In that moment, I chose self over others. In that moment, I believed in, in doom instead of hope. In that moment. In that moment, someone else hurt me and treated me like I was not worth or, or wasn't valuable. In that moment, I felt lost. When we look back and let Jesus redeem those things and clothe them, we start to be able to let go of them. And we are set free to break through. Because no matter what your past look like, looks like, you are never beyond breakthrough. And I can imagine as Peter's running up to Jesus haphazardly, all wet with his coat on, he's anticipating that breakthrough. And Jesus delivers not with some emotional, like, hey, but by doing an honest reflection of the past and reclaiming it, rewriting it, putting new clothes on it. And that's the invitation for you today. You may be in a place where you've, you're stuck and you feel insecure and you're afraid to move forward. You're afraid to take that leap. Some of you are afraid of the judgment of others. You're afraid of looking like a hypocrite. Guess what? We're all hypocrites. Every human's a hypocrite. Embrace it. And then you, you, you just dive into the deep end to say, there's hope for hypocrites. That'd be a good t-shirt. There's hope for us all. And that's what Jesus is saying. There's hope for us all. Because it's his agape love that defines us. And nothing we do changes his love for us. So that's our invitation today. Let's reflect and celebrate. Let's reflect. We'll have the band come back up and lead us in worship. And we're going to reflect on leaving the past behind, letting Jesus rewrite those stories of hope and redemption so we can truly break free and break through to what God has for us. That's the joy. The, the song we opened up with is one of my favorite songs called Chainbreaker by Zach Williams. And uh, I just listen to that song all the time. I love it. And, and I sing it out loud in the car. I sing it in the shower. I sing it, and I sing it a little more quiet when people are around. But uh, I love that song. And then this, this first song we're going to lead into worship also talks about breaking the chains, breaking every chain. I want to invite you to let Jesus set you free to break the chains because if you try to do it on your own, you will not get to unconditional love. But it's only through Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. When we claim that as ours, then we can believe in and aspire to and partake in his unconditional love. Let's, let's be set free from our past today. Amen? Let's be set free from those things that, that hold us back. Let's not believe the lies. What is your acronym? Like mine, W-W-M-D-I-H-R-K-G-L-F-H. What would Mike do if he really knew God's love for him? And let's let that be our chain breaking today is just know and believe in God's perfect love for us and that he calls us to love others the same. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I just pray that this truly is a day of breakthrough, 
that we would see those things that hold us back and we would uh, just say, not today, Satan. <laughs> These are not yours. I am not yours. We could look at our past and say, not, not me. I've been loved with a perfect love and that transforms me and changes me and I claim Jesus Christ as my savior, as my redeemer, as my restorer. And Father, I just claim that as a church that we stand before you, righteous and pure, not because of what we're doing, but because of what you have done, Jesus. And you are with us and you love us and you are walking with us and you have sheep and lamb for us to love. And I pray that we would eagerly without reservation, without hesitation, full confidence of really knowing your love for us, that we would seek ways and find ways to feed, to feed them with the transformational love of the gospel and the hope that comes from knowing that you unconditionally love us and that secures our present and our eternity. Help us to claim that we are set free so we can feed others with the joy of being set free. In Jesus' name, amen.